you for the opportunities we've had. Pray for uh, just Mike's conversation with the contractor and his son. Just pray that you would work there, that you would have mercy, that you would change hearts and lives. Um, thank you for um, the uh, opportunity that Julie had with Andy. We do pray that you would help him to find a um, a good church in Nova Scotia, Lord God, just uh, corner of the world I've never been, but uh, just pray that you would bless bless him with fellowship, bless him with encouragement and maturity, um, and we would pray for that. Pray also, Lord God, as we, we um, encounter those who um, go under the name or the guise of Christian and yet are opposed to sound doctrinal, Lord God, help us to know how to interact with um, our opponents and correcting them with gentleness and yet correcting them, oh Lord God. So we just pray for courage to do so. Um, Lord, we thank you for this time and pray for just uh, grace as we continue to look in your character um, that you would help us to know you more so that we might love you more. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, so you remember that as we we're talking about the attributes of God, uh, we're kind of marching through that list that God uh, has for himself in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. So you can go ahead and turn there to start with. Um, we've looked at a number of things with regard to God and his character. We've looked at him as Trinity. We've looked at his names. We've looked at him as creator, as eternal. Um, but uh, when we, what we have in Exodus 34 is God tying to his personal name, Yahweh, uh, his character. And so it seems a a good, it's a good place to camp. We have been camping there, kind of marching through several of these attributes. Let's go ahead and reread Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Someone can go ahead and do that. So we have looked at God as um, merciful and gracious. Um, we've looked at God as slow to anger. We've looked at his patience. And now we want to look at this, um, at least the end of verse 6, the next item, uh, abounding or great in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now that's how the ESV reads, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Uh, someone with an NASB, what does it read? Abounding in loving kindness and truth. Okay. Uh, any others? Okay. Faithful love and truth. Anyone with a KJV? Goodness and truth, right? So a couple things you notice there. There's some alternate between how you translate those two items. Uh, now, in the original, they are bound together. So this is kind of like you got two concepts bound together. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's actually what is known as a figure of speech known as hendiadus. Hendiadus. Now, you don't need to remember that. But what is hendiadus? It's a figure of speech in which two related nouns or verbs are used to communicate a single idea, often heightening its meaning. So here's an example. Signs and wonders. When you think about signs and wonders, you're really thinking about one concept, aren't you? Uh, yeah, you could maybe differentiate signs and wonders and what those are, but when you kind of join them together, you're really, you have two things, but they're communicating one concept. And that's what's going on here as well. 
Um, now, each of those items has its own kind of scope, and we're actually going to focus in on one of them today. But you need to understand that when these two terms are bound together, they're very important terms, but they're kind of, they're, they're, they're working together to amplify what is being said, okay? In particular, uh, if we want to focus on one of these terms that is extremely significant for uh, the Old Testament, this is the word that's translated loving kindness or steadfast love or loyal love um, or uh, I think KJV had goodness. Um, and this is the word hesed. You don't need to remember that either. But um, it's a word, as you can tell, just because of the variety of the translation, it's a hard, it's hard to bring over into one word or even two words into English. It's a fairly complex, um, is complex the right way to say it? Yeah, complex is, it's a complex notion that is trying to be conveyed. And so we're going to need to do some work on that. And Lord willing, we'll do that next week. But what you, one thing you need to know right now is that this idea of that's translated faithfulness or loving kindness or steadfast love, um, it incorporates within it the idea of faithfulness, which is that other term. And that one's a little bit easier to, to, to translate to get your hands, hands wrapped around it. So what's happening here is faithfulness is actually included in that other term that means steadfast love, loving kindness. It's included within it. But here you've got it mentioned explicitly, like we said, they're bound together and for the purpose of amplifying this concept, okay? So um, since the more complex term has the second term embedded within it, has faithfulness embedded within it, we're going to spend today talking about God's faithfulness, and then next week we're going to talk about, well, how does that then relate, uh, how does that work with the other term translated steadfast love? loving kindness, which, whichever way your version translates it, okay? Yes, Mike. Yes, good. Very good. Well, that's a great example, right? Because really, it's one con you're using two terms, one but it's really one concept that's brought to mind. It's exactly what's going on here. Each term has its own notion, and we do need to investigate each term kind of with its own notion, but they're smashed together here to communicate one concept about what is being said about God. But we can kind of at least focus on one of those concepts, God's faithfulness today, uh, and then we'll put it all together a little bit more next week. Uh, and again, remember, this is significant because this is God himself proclaiming who he is. So if we want to talk about who God is and what he ties to his, his name, his character, like these are worthwhile things to focus on and try to, you know, suss out the details and put them together. So... Let's talk about God's faithfulness, okay? Uh, and to do that, let's actually go to the New Testament first. Go to 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy 2. And 2 Timothy 2... Someone go ahead and read verses 11 through 13.
Okay, in particular, for our purposes, we want to focus on verse 13, although we want to set that in a little bit of a context. What does that say about God's faithfulness? Okay, what do you mean by that? Okay, he remains faithful to who? What's that? Now be careful. What does the text say? He's faithful to himself. So that's where God's faithfulness starts. Now, absolutely, he is faithful to his people, and that's one of the things we're going to see. But in this context, where does it start? God can't deny himself. Therefore, he's faithful to himself. And so when it says in verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, he's actually saying, especially if you parallel it with the previous phrase, see how this works? You've got two positive. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him, positive. Then negative. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, then he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. What is that saying? God's faithfulness to himself means that if we are faithless, he's going to deny us. Okay? So God's faithfulness is, as we will see in some of the other passages we're going to look at, uh, he is faithful to people, but ultimately his faithfulness to his people um, is grounded in a further back faithfulness, faithfulness to himself faithfulness to his own character, faithfulness to who he is. Uh, we can see another, um, and so really, if we, we put it like this, God's faithfulness uh, starts with himself, and that is rooted in his immutability. What do we mean by the term immutability? Unchanging, right? So really, those ideas are really connected, that God is faithful to himself, God is immutable, means he doesn't change. Now, let's see a couple passages that just kind of highlight that idea of God's immutability, which is really the foundation of his faithfulness and his faithfulness to himself. Uh, go to Malachi 3, last book in the English Old Testament. Uh, Malachi now, Malachi, just to give you a little context, this is after the exile, this is after people, of the, you know, the Jews have returned, not as a whole, but in uh, a, a portion of them to, uh, to Israel, but there's still problems. There's still a lot of similar problems as there were before the exile. So God is disputing throughout Malachi with Israel and what they're doing and what they're thinking. And so that in that context, we read Malachi 3, 6 through 7. So go ahead and someone go ahead and read. Malachi 3, 6 through 7. Yeah, and that's, you get, what, where do we see God's immutability here? Yeah, and, and what, is, what does God say? 
to start off with. He doesn't change. Therefore, you, Israel, aren't consumed, right? So that's an aspect of God's faithfulness, but here you can see it, like we, we've already discussed it, is grounded in his immutability, right? God doesn't change. His character doesn't change. Therefore, that means faithfulness to himself first, but also faithfulness to people. Uh, you see this also in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 8. Um, uh, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever, right? Uh, now, let's think about this before we keep talking about God's faithfulness, since God's faithfulness is rooted in his immutability. Uh, when we say God can't change, does that mean he can't change, period? No. Right, so we kind of have to be careful. If you say that God doesn't change at all, then that means there's no change whatsoever, meaning like he doesn't have a change in his disposition towards you, which is a problem, right? Because we know from Scripture that God does have a change of disposition towards us, especially when we repent and believe in Christ, right? So what do we mean when we say that God is immutable? We really mean that he's immutable in his person, like his being and him being Trinity is never going to change, right? His purposes, uh, what his aims are in creation, his aims are in redemption, all of those things. His will, meaning his decreed will, so what he's decreed to come to pass, and his ethical rules, his ethical standards. Um, those are the ways in which God is immutable. Uh, his character, if you want to pull it together like that. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, his word, right? Which would be kind of like uh, part of his, you know, incorporated in his purposes and his decreed will, right? Like things that that um, here are my purposes, here's where I'm going, those aren't going to change, right? doesn't mean there's no change whatsoever. God has a change in disposition. He uh, relents concerning disaster, things like this. Um, so we need to keep that in mind when we talk about God's immutability, but we can see that here in Malachi 3, 6 and 7, right? God's character really doesn't change. And so that, and his purposes, his promises towards this particular nation of Israel don't change. That's why he's faithful to Israel, and that's why Israel is not consumed. So really these ideas of immutability and faithfulness are intertwined. Okay? Yes, Bruce? Well, it says they're not consumed. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely true. Okay, so we're just getting some of the ground notions of, okay, God is faithful to himself, and that faithfulness is grounded in his own immutability, uh, which is going to fuel his faithfulness to his people. And so let's just develop that a little bit more, looking at some key texts. Go to Deuteronomy 32. Go to Deuteronomy 32. Uh, this is like the song that Israel's supposed to learn so that when they disobey God, they remember it and are confronted. <laughs> um, but in the midst of this song, we get grand pictures of God's character. Um, so pretty early on in the song, in Deuteronomy 32, um, look at verse 4. Someone go ahead and read verse 4 in Deuteronomy 32. Okay, so we got the, um, the uh, 
God's faithfulness here. What is God's faithfulness tied to in this particular verse? Okay, yeah, so God's perfect, which ties in, right, with his immutability, right? He's not going to change. But what, what specifically is God, so it's tied in with his own perfection, uh, and how is that manifested kind of in this verse? Justice without iniquity, right? So that intersects with even things we've already said, right? God doesn't have sin. He's totally good. He is light in him and no darkness at all. So his faithfulness, right, he's faithful to his own character. And in this case, the character that he's faithful to that's on display is his sinlessness, his perfection, um, all of that put together. So again, we're starting with God is faithful to himself. God is faithful to his own character. That is the ground for any other faithfulness he has. Okay, he's faithful to righteousness, to what is right, to what is just. Okay, uh, any other questions on that before I give you another kind of sample text to display God's faithfulness. Okay, so let's go, seeing another aspect of God's faithfulness and how this works itself out. Go to Micah. Go to Micah 7.20. And let me see if I want to give you a couple more verses to read besides... Yeah, let's actually back up to verse 18. So Micah 7, 18 um, through 20. So someone go ahead and read Micah 7, 18 through 20. Okay, now focus on verse 20. So um, NASB had truth there. Um, ESV has, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to, actually those are our two terms, the back from Exodus 34, so there's an allusion there, but we're focusing on God's faithfulness. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Now what is God's faithfulness being displayed in here? Uh, his word specifically what? Yeah, the promises that he's made. When he talks about you will show faithfulness to Jacob, our steadfast love to Abraham, as you sworn to our fathers from the days of old, he's alluding to the Abrahamic covenant. Right? He's saying, look, you made this covenant with Abraham. You made this covenant with Isaac and Jacob. Um, you gave us this covenant even... Um, uh, as in the greater context of, of, of Micah, uh, of restoration of land, uh, seed and blessing through Abrahamic covenant, you're going to uphold those. That's what Micah is saying. You're going to uphold those because you're going to show faithfulness to us. So God's faithfulness starts, he's faithful to himself and his own character, but then God makes promises. He makes promises to, uh, in this case, the nation of Israel, right? Um, he makes the Abrahamic covenant, 
And then the whole, you see, because God is faithful, and he's faithful to his word, um, faithful to his promises, he's faithful in his own character, that's going to work its way out because he's made these promises to Israel. He's going to show faithfulness. It's going to be resolved, so to speak. Okay? Does that make sense? Questions on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In Genesis, you're talking. That's Genesis 15. But then in Genesis uh, 22, in the same kind of realm of the covenant, he's talking about. He swears by himself. Right. So in, in that sense, right, when we, God makes a promise, or specifically a covenant, he's swearing an oath. He's backing it up with his own character, right? And so that's where you've got Micah, a prophet, looking back hundreds of years, of years later, saying, you swore by yourself. You made an oath to our fathers. It's going to happen because of who you are. You're going to show faithfulness to us because of who you are, right? Uh, let's see another aspect of this. Go to Psalm 132. And Psalm 132 is a great psalm, uh, meditating on God's promises to David. One of the songs of ascents. Um, let's, let's go ahead and start in verse 10. Let's read 10, 11, and 12. Psalm 132. Okay, so what's, the, what's God's faithfulness being displayed here? In connection with what? So, yeah, so, uh, so there's this idea that if your sons keep my covenant, which covenant? Which covenant is this? Davidic. Davidic covenant, right? So this is the Davidic covenant, which the promise of the Davidic covenant, and he says it here, right, in verse 11, um, uh, that... The Lord swore a sure oath. Uh, I think it's a faithful oath. Is that word sure? I think it uh, gets. It's, that's the word faithfulness that we're work, looking at. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons of your body I will set on your throne. So that's the promise. And God backed it up with an oath. So it's going to happen. Right? So we saw God's faithfulness to the Abrahamic covenant. Here's a different covenant with a different promise. Related, but different. Um, and God's saying, I've, I've sworn by, the, or the psalmist is saying, uh, you swore this is going to happen. This is a faithful oath because God is faithful. But what's interesting, even in reading ahead to 12, right, um, there is uh, this aspect that if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on their throne. So God is going to be faithful and he's going to set uh, one on the throne um, he, that's where his faithfulness is being manifested. 
But there's also this aspect that that also, there's um, the reality of uh, the, the Davidic kings have to be faithful themselves in order to inherit that blessing, right? Well, where does that end us up? Actually, it connects nicely with the passage we're going to look at in Matthew today because we see the final faithful Davidic king who is faithful to the covenant uh, being installed according to the sure oath on the throne in the future, right? That's what Matthew 25, 31 talks about. Uh, but again, it's just displaying God's faithfulness. God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his covenants. Over thousands of years, uh, one of my favorite things, you look at Luke 1 and like Mary and Zechariah, and they're like, <coughs> now they're about 2,000 years removed from Abraham. And yet they're looking back and saying, hey, you're going to keep your promises to Abraham. We know you are. And indeed, they get an installment in that with Jesus, right? Which always gives me encouragement because you think about, well, where are we at? We're about 2,000-ish years removed from Jesus. And it's like, is he really going to come? Is it really going to happen? Well, yes, because God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Uh, He's faithful to the covenants he's made. Uh, He's sworn. He's made an oath by himself. So it's going to happen. This is God's faithfulness, okay? Uh, any other questions before I keep, we keep sampling um, and seeing God's faithfulness? I think it's important to keep in mind that if you read on 13, because this is the derivative mm-hmm. of this statement, for the Lord has chosen Zion, he is desired for his dwelling, dwelling saying, this is my resting place forever mm-hmm. and ever. Mm-hmm. Here I will sit in the throne, mm-hmm. for I have desired it. Mm-hmm. So He's going to make his purposes come to pass. Uh, and the question is, your obedience is going to be, well, are you going to enjoy that or not? At least in the case of the Davidic covenant, right? He's saying, if you're a Davidic king, you have to be faithful in order to inherit those blessings. The promise is going to happen, and indeed it does. It will because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ um, to the covenant. Okay, let's go ahead to Nehemiah. We were in Nehemiah last week. Uh, actually, the same chapter, too. Let's go to Nehemiah 9. So you remember Nehemiah, again, this is return to exiles. And Nehemiah 9 is kind of this grand confession of, yeah, we've, we've screwed up. And not just once, but multiple, multiple, multiple times. But they're looking to God's character in the midst of their sinfulness, in the midst of their wickedness, um, And I just want to highlight one aspect of this with regard to faithfulness, which is what we're looking at. Um, Look at Nehemiah 9. Let's see. Uh, Let's look at... Look at Nehemiah 9, 33-34. Just to give a little context. 33 is the one we're going to focus on, but just look at 33 and 34. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. 
Yeah, and, and essentially the broader context of Nehemiah 9, if you read around it, he's saying you've sent upon us destruction and exile and famine and oppression, and basically they look at it and say, you've been faithful. Faithful to your covenant. Faithful to bring upon the curses of the covenant that you said you would. So God's faithfulness cuts both directions, right? Uh, of course, it's, it's something that brings us hope, right? That's that We go back to the covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, right? All those promises are true. That's kind of the positive side. But here, a people that have recognized their own sinfulness are saying, you've sent upon us exile, disaster, oppression. Uh, we have been wicked, and you have been faithful. You've done what is right. Uh, and so here you see... God's faithfulness uh, to punish human wickedness, um, to punish disobedience. And that's part of his faithfulness as well. Uh, we don't necessarily think about it at that side, but even going back to where we were in 2 Timothy 2, right? Uh, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So when our wickedness conflicts with God's character, right, he's going to be faithful to his own character to punish and deal with that as appropriate. And yet there's still that hope. God's faithfulness also guarantees the hope of rescue uh, for, with repentance and faith. So uh, questions on that idea, that concept. God's faithfulness, uh, in this context, God's faithfulness is showing itself in punishing wickedness. Uh, even the people that um, are crying out. Questions are, yeah, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, it's justice, right? That... Uh, he's not going to sweep sin under the rug. He promised. Really, what's being alluded to here in Nehemiah 9 is the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant effectively says, if you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you're going to be cursed. And so they're saying, yeah, we've disobeyed, and you've kept your word to your covenant because we're getting the curse. Um, you're faithful. Um, you're righteous. And so we're getting what we deserve. You know. um, yes, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's kind of the faithfulness of letting him go to, or his, at least his allowing the son to go get, to be judged by his own decisions, right, in that sense. Uh, but then also the faithful character of bringing him back. So both sides are faithful in that sense. Uh, okay, let's, um, let's do another one. Let's do Psalm 91. <coughs> yeah, Psalm 91, and let's do 3 and 4. Okay, so what's, how is God's faithfulness kind of described here? Yeah, protective, right? How does he describe it? Okay, wings of a bird, what else? A shield, right? Which is kind of an interesting imagery, right? Like God's faithfulness is like a shield to protect against whatever is coming against it, right? So again, just another display of God's faithfulness is, is the hope of, you know, rescue from evil, from danger, from, um, 
even our own wickedness, right? God's faithfulness to himself, his character is what guarantee, is guaranteeing that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, deliverance from evil, from attacks, God's faithfulness, his character uh, to himself, which is fueling his promises and his protection of his people, right? But he pictures it like a shield in this case. Yeah, great. Uh, let's go to the New Testament and let's um, see other, um, other aspects of God's uh, faithfulness. How much, let's do, 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 yeah, let's do Romans 3, 1 through 4. So here, in Paul's argument in Romans, he's, he's basically Paul's acting in his argument as a prosecuting attorney, and he's condemning everyone. Um, and he's meditating, at least in the early parts in chapter 3, on, well, what about the Jews? Isn't God faithful to the Jews? How is this all going to work? So um, I'll go ahead and read 3, 1 through 4. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone was a liar. As it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So what is, what is Paul saying here about God's faithfulness? Yeah, so everyone could be a liar, everyone could be untrue, everyone could be unfaithful, but that has no bearing on God's faithfulness uh, to his own character and then even to his promises for his people, right? So uh, human faithlessness does not affect God's faithfulness at all, okay? And the good news for that is, as Christians is that plays into uh, our sanctification and perseverance to the end. Go to 1 Corinthians, just a couple pages over. Go to 1 Corinthians 1. Now, let's just, brief context setting. Uh, Corinthian church. Easy church, model church, hard church. What kind of church? Hard, yeah. Corinthians are pretty messed up, right? Are they a true church? Yeah, they're pretty messed up. They're pretty screwed up, but they're a true church, right? And we know, kind of going into Corinthians, the, uh, Paul's going he's gonna, to he's gonna be hard on them for their factions. He's going to be hard on them for doing things like lawsuits against one another. He's going to be hard on them for how they're using their spiritual gifts without love. Like, he's going to do a lot of correction and a lot, say a lot of hard things. But notice how he opens 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. Someone go ahead and read that. First Corinthians 1, 4 through 9.
Okay, so he goes through a lot there. What's Paul basically saying? Yeah, so God's going to be faithful to do what in specific for the Corinthians? So he's chosen them. He's given them grace. God is faithful. What's the net effect for the Corinthians? This Corinthian church, mind you. To be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus, right? To persevere to the end. God's, God's faithfulness, you know, even as Paul enters this letter where he's going to critique them heavily, right? He's saying... Yeah, but God's faithfulness is going to make you persevere to the end, right? Um, And so if you think about it in those terms, God's faithfulness to his people that he has chosen uh, means that they're going to make it. They're going to persevere. Even when they go through, when they're very immature at times, when they're very uh, sinful as Christians, when they're very messed up as Christians, doesn't mean excuse the messed upness and the sin, but God's faithfulness is what's fueling and driving his work, his patience, as we talked about last week, with, um, with his people, sanctifying them, uh, causing them to persevere so that they do persevere in the end. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, you're going to do, you're going to work, right? And Paul's going to put the Corinthians to work, right? So we've got to always remember that um, what Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because, or for, God's work, God is at work within you, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. And that dynamic's going on here, right? He's going to critique him, saying, you guys need to grow. You guys need to change. You guys need to labor. Um, but why? Because God is faithful, right? Because He's at work behind the scenes, driving and fueling and making it all happen. So, yeah. So God's faithfulness uh, secures our sanctification, right? doesn't excuse our labor, but it secures the ultimate um, sanctification and perseverance to the end, to the day of Christ Jesus, what we've been talking about in Matthew 24 and 25, right? We've said, Jesus has been saying, you need to prepare, you need to persevere. Uh, but what's ger- undergirding all of that? What's... What's the foundation? It's God's own faithfulness, his own character. So, yeah. What's, yeah, and his forbearance. Yeah, his patience, like we talked about last week. Absolutely. Okay. First uh, Corinthians, since we're in First Corinthians, First Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10. Uh, Paul's talking and addressing this issue of can you eat meat sacrificed to idols or not? In fact, uh, for communion today, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, actually, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. Therefore, 
Okay, so where's God, how's God's faithfulness displayed here? Yeah, he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. He'll let you be tempted, but not beyond your ability. There's going to be a way of escape. And God is undergirding that promise with his faithfulness, right? His faithfulness to his character. His, you know, you think about God's sovereignty over all things and orchestrating all events, right? Well, certainly then, uh, there's, what he's saying is there's going to be no event as a Christian where you need to give in to temptation, right? Um, God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability, uh, which is a hugely comforting when you're in the midst of temptation because you know, I don't have to do this because I'm in Christ, right? I can walk away. There's, there's a way to endure through this. Yeah, Bruce. Uh, right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's it, 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 the endurance and what that looks like as far as the wave escape is going to look different depending on the situation, but there's always that way, right? Um, because we can say God is faithful, right? Faithfulness to his own character, faithfulness to his people is going to allow that to happen. Uh, let's do one last one in Revelation. That's appropriate to finish on. So, um, actually, it's interesting. So, we're looking at this from the standpoint of faithfulness, but uh, what we see in Revelation 19 through 20, uh, really Revelation 19 and in, a little bit into 20, is the same scene, or at least same basic time frame, as what we see in Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, as far as Jesus' return. But go ahead and read Revelation 19, 11. Okay. So who is this? Yeah, this is Jesus. What's he called? True, faithful and true. And in what, why do you think that in this scene, in this picture, he's called faithful and true? Yep, yep. He's, he's, he's culminating everything, right? That's the way in which God's faithfulness and in Christ's faithfulness is being displayed here, right? His, he's culminating everything. He's culminating the promises. Um, and so, you know, we've talked about God's faithfulness um, 
to keep his promises. And here you see, all right, here's, here's it happening. And here you see Jesus is called the faithful and the true because he's culminating all those things. Actually, one of the songs we're singing today, um, All Glory Be to Christ, uh, on that day, we, uh, oh, the great I am, the faithful and the true. It uses this exact line to talk about Jesus coming, being faithful to his promises, culminating everything, um, uh, but it's because of God's, God's faithfulness. So, Any last thoughts on God's faithfulness? He's faithful first to his character, to who he is in and himself, uh, because he's immutable. Uh, he, he doesn't change in his character, in his decreed will, his promises, his purposes, uh, his character. He doesn't change in any of that. That's undergirding his faithfulness. Um, but then that, his faithfulness to himself, means he's faithful to his people. Faithful to save them, yes. Faithful to discipline also, right? Um, because ultimately God is faithful to him himself. And because he's faithful to himself, he's faithful to his people. He's bound to himself. Okay. Any questions, comments before we close? Yes, Eden. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and then let's prepare for the gathering. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. You're faithful to yourself. Lord, we thank you that you're not, your, your fundamental allegiance is to yourself, not to us, which is such good news because we shift, we change, we, we are fickle, but you are faithful to your own character and your own promises. You are right and good and righteous, and yet your faithfulness to yourself undergirds your faithfulness to your people. And Lord, we have seen your faithfulness, even as a church, in just so many ways, uh, let alone as individuals just in this week, but as a church over uh, from 1904 to today, Lord, you have kept this church because you are faithful. You're faithful to uh, preserve your people. We, we need to be faithful, oh Lord God, and we want to be faithful, but Lord, we, we lean and um, depend on your faithfulness. Lord, we love you. Um, we thank you. We pray that you would just bless this morning. Prepare our hearts to sing. Prepare our hearts to pray. Uh, prepare our hearts to take uh, the Lord's Supper that you've given us, the new covenant sign. Oh, Lord God, we pray for that. And uh, pray that um, your people would be built up. We pray that um, uh, uh, you would expose sin and convict concerning sin, that you would grow us. We pray that you would save people, and we would ask for that. Thank you for this day and for this time in your word and your name. Amen.